Welcome to episode 210 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, we are coming to all of our listeners, the other side of Game 5, which the Boston Celtics won. Let's not beat around the bush here. Let's let's get, get straight to the chase. The Celtics... Took game five, 92-87, taking a 3-2 lead in the series and dramatically decreasing the chances of the books finally breaking their their long drought of not winning a playoff series. Um, game six will take place on Thursday in Milwaukee. Game seven, if necessary, will be back in Boston on Saturday. The books need to win them both or the season is over in the next few days. That's simple. What are your thoughts on Game 5, how it played out? It was a... It was a muck. It was... We were in the mud. We were... It was a tug of war. And then... We go back and forth. And then the Bucks fell in the mud. Face first. And then the mud turned into quicksand. I don't, I don't know what... <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was pretty... It was, it was not a... Uh, well executed game. It was very just just slop everywhere. A mess. And that goes for both teams. It wasn't just the Bucks. I mean, Celtics were not on their A game at all. Uh they got Marcus Smart returned, gave him a little bit of a boost, did his Marcus Smart things, go on the <laughs> jump out of the floor, you know, going after loose balls, uh providing presence defensively. Um but yeah, it was just a, it wasn't really a dogfight. It was just, it was gross. <laughs> it was a very gross game at some, at some points. I think as much as the Celtics didn't play well, they executed what their game plan would have been perfectly because yep. we've talked, we've talked all series long about, you know, these are the games they want. They don't want the book score 108 points and them trying to outscore them. This is ideal for them. And that's really what happened. You know, they just, they, they carry it on with the the trend that has been, I guess, the most dominant of the series so far. And that's if you're leading at the end of the first quarter, you win the game. I think just two reasons for that. And it's one, if the Bucs get off to a good start, the Celtics don't have enough to catch them. And if the Celtics get off to a good start, they're generally competent enough to just stay ahead of the Bucs. Yep. And that's it. So it's it really has been all about the quick start. I I think even it was an eight-point margin 
in game five, and that was the second smallest margin between the teams. Um, after the first quarter, I think the other one was seven points. The books were up in one of the games, but there's generally been you know daylight between the two teams. There's been a decent margin coming out of the first quarter, and they've been able to hold on. Um, maybe not all that convincingly, as you know happened in game one for the Celtics and game four for the books, but they hang on. You know they just have enough, and. I this was this was a really kind of it was a painful loss for the books because I just thought for as ugly as the game was and for everything that went with that there were these moments where I'm watching it and I'm watching it unfold and I'm just thinking this this really might be it like this we could be 30 seconds away from like the moment that really is this team's coming out party and I know we've had a lot of them and we've had a lot that you know you get to a certain level but for large spells, and particularly when they kept just getting these runs to get close, you just felt like, oh, one of these times, maybe they'll get over it. And if they had done that, that's the moment that changes everything. And I, I know how how much of an exaggeration that sounds like, but I, I'm not sure if it really is with this team. It's just kind of pulling out one of those would have made a difference. It didn't happen. And... There were a whole variety of reasons for that. I think we'll start off with one thing that we'll we'll do at the top and then we'll get it out of the way because it's our our preference not to get down too deep into these murky waters ever. It's not really what Jordan and I are into in terms of how we view basketball, how we view the outcomes of basketball games. But on this occasion, there was one decision, which I mean, very objectively went against the books late on that had a pretty big impact on the game, you know? Um, firstly, I mean, if they just got the, the rebound, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. So I think it's it's not necessarily you go, well, that's it. That's what changed the game. But if the call had gone the other way, you know, there is a chance they'd come out with a different outcome. I'm, of course, talking about the Jack Bauer that never was, you know? Maybe this is our fault for oh. making such a big deal out of 24 second violations all season, only for <laughs> at the definitive moment of the season, one to come off and not be called. Did you did you tweet out a gif? Were you ahead of and just like were you were you there ready? Was there like an instant gif and then they didn't call it and you were like, What I, I can't remember if I saw or didn't see one. I I'm was getting no. ready. I was you getting were, ready you were to do I mean, (laughs) yeah, the Celtics got 25 and a half seconds, and the rule does seem to be um, pretty puzzling. (laughs) I think that's the best way we can put it. There is a pretty major loophole in the rules, which I don't know why it took something happening for that to become apparent, because I would think when you're drawing up the rules, this would be obvious. But effectively, in a situation like that, in the last two minutes, if the shot doesn't go in, or the shot isn't an air ball, you can't actually review it. Which, I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't understand. What does the air ball have? Because that's technically a miss. So why are you reviewing yeah. a miss? That falls I don't know, but it, it's, that's such a strange... That's, that seems like something that only comes into it because it's not uncommon for... 24 second shot clock violations to actually end on air balls because that's the nature of you know desperation heaves it's it's like something that yeah. wouldn't be 
uh, classified, you wouldn't have a note to mention air balls on most other rules, but there is on this one. Um, there's a lot of anger about the refs. I, I don't really feel any of that, but I get it. A lot of people saying, well, forget the review. How do three people on the court miss it? I'm very much in the opposite camp on that because there are times when three people on a court will miss a call. Yep. That is that is the exact reason why you have review. You know, so for me, the the real gripe with it isn't that, oh, you know, the, the guy should have got it. I mean, for whatever reason, and particularly in a game like that late in the game, this was a messy game that was at times really frantic. Whatever. If officials miss a call, they miss a call. But this was a provable call, which is the sort of thing that you bring replay, you bring review in for. And then we have this instance where it's not it's not triggered, you know, and that's that was triggered. very frustrating from a from a lot of I think that's the best way of putting it. I don't know, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> that was very frustrating from from a lot of kind of angles and a lot of people with no investment in the books shared that sentiment because you've got a really competitive playoff series you've got a game five coming down the stretch in the balance and there's a call that just should be easily identified that gets let go and that's that's a body blow and it's really uh i was impressed to be honest i know a lot of people wanted joe prunty or they wanted the books to generally sound off on this afterward Forget about it. It does it does no good. That doesn't do them any good. They need to move on. And unsurprisingly, there was only one player, one individual who decided he was gonna kind of dig yes, his heels no. in and talk about this after the game. And that was Eric Bledsoe. And Eric Bledsoe <sighs> let his feelings be known about it. Um, as if he needed something else to kind of just get lost in mentally. Where Jabari, I, I mean, it's not the it's not what any fan wants to hear in the heat of moment. He gave the right answer, though. He gave, oh, you know, well, we got some calls too. It didn't decide the game. I mean, that is technically fact, you know? Yeah. Um, Yanis knew the rule. Did someone already give Yanis the specific rule? Or has Yanis studied the rule book? I mean, to the letter that he has every detail memorized. I was very impressed with that. And I need a follow up of, you know, just how he was able to, like, word for word, bring the rule up. So, that was interesting. And Pronti said, yeah, <laughs> you know, I said, that's a shot clock violation. They didn't do anything about it. And then the game kept going. I mean, it is what it is. But yeah, that was not fun. That was not ideal in any way for the books. Nope. But let's get that out of the way, because there was a whole lot of basketball outside of that that ultimately played a big role in how this game played out. What would you say is the biggest factor in Milwaukee's struggles or any success the Celtics had in this game? What what do you put down as the biggest difference maker in how the game played out? I, I would say Giannis. Um, he wasn't particularly on his A game. He had a fine game in general, I would say, because he did – he wasn't really um, – I know there was just weird spells where he what he really wasn't involved in plays and that again that that's I wrote about this in the takeaways piece that I wrote about game five that speaks to obviously other issues going on with you know the structure of how the team is built and all that stuff but it was just strange to see him kind of 
it wasn't really aimless, but he just wasn't involved. He would just be on sitting on the corner, kind of waiting for things to swing over. And obviously they didn't swing his way. Um, but he still kind of fought through it. He, you know, almost had a triple double. Uh, I think one assist away from having a triple double or two assists away. I'm, one, assist. Really one assist. Kind of nine. Yeah. And um, I just think a lot of that comes down to if you're not having a consistent scoring. Obviously, the other thing, too, he played all the second half. He had the strangest kind of he he didn't play the or he didn't finish out the first quarter or maybe he did i can't really remember no he didn't he was he came out i want to say it was about a minute to go in the first and then he sat for close to six and a half minutes yeah i thought that was a uh strange i thought that was kind of i don't know especially because that's when the bucks i mean they were at their worst that night they were down as much as 16 during those points. Um, I just thought it was strange to have Giannis sit on the bench for that long, especially you're getting rest with TV talents and stuff like that. There was just a ways to manage his minutes better that, you know, by the time in the second half, he looked really wound down. He was missing passing up opportunities, which he even talked about after the game, which I do agree with what he was, what his general point was where, you know, the shots that they were willing me or giving me to take, they were those shots. were my shots, which is true. But I also still think they're. I mean, he's a superstar, and he can. There score were times he could just come and got his shot. Is what I felt watching it. It's like, yes. you're right. That isn't your shot, but just go and get your shot. You know, don't let Shemi Ojale scare you out of you know going and driving. He's right. He's strong. He's mobile. Um. He's a good counter. It actually it reminded me most of all, I think, to the way OG Ananobi defended him in the final couple minutes in that game in Toronto earlier in the season. I That was a much shorter spell, but there was something about Ananobi that just, it made him overthink everything. Um, yeah. Just because he was close enough, you know, to being able to, to cover and match up. But he wasn't actually able to cover a matchup. But Yance just didn't test that. It w- there was enough there to kind of plant the seed of doubt. And I, I think that's interesting. It's something that I'd probably give some more thought to and we'll talk about during the summer. But that this game was one where I think there was a lot there where you look and you go, well, Yanis does have room to really go another level because even if his game stays the same, it's there's there's part of him that I don't think understands just how much he can kind of unpick with his ability you know just how difficult it is to stop him at times um there, there are a couple of things i mean firstly that spell where he sat him out the start of the second quarter middleton and bledsoe had a little something going i say middleton and bledsoe i bledsoe got to the line a couple of times but it was really middleton was you know organizing things really well and the book started to show something i believe they kind of tightened it up a little bit and I was like, okay, now is when you bring Giannis back in. And he didn't. And he left it so long that the little bit of ground they'd gained had disappeared again, which was ultimately the story of the game. You know, that's they just kind of one step forward, two steps back. That was what the book's performance was. I mean, the other part of it, and it, Giannis is the books and vice versa. So it kind of applies in a situation like this. This is what, when you and I have gone on and on, and maybe me more so than you, I know I've written about it as well, about, you know, this team not having an identity. 
this is what that means because the Bucks had nothing yeah. to fall back into in this game. Yeah. The Celtics did. The Celtics fell back into their identity and it got them the win. The Bucks played poorly. Giannis just wasn't quite feeling it and they didn't have a way to play around that. I mean, everything just kind of breaks down and they did some good things and actually had some nice spells where they were somehow surviving but they were surviving in spite of themselves you know it wasn't they weren't doing anything to make it easier for themselves they were making tough shots or just defending really really well in spurts and then they'll come and have an awful stretch to follow it up and it, it was just one of those games where you're like if this team knows what it's doing if it has something then you get something out of it but when your identity is just dribble handoff, dribble handoff, dribble handoff, eventually Giannis goes, right? And there's a game where you're not being given that or he's not feeling like he's getting the, the right look to go with that. Then you're just, you're just kind of, it's not even passing it around. They're just handing it off to each other until someone has to make something happen. It was more often than not Middleton who, a little bit less efficient. But again, I was just so impressed at Middleton and how he went to the end. He also played 41 minutes. He also played some really long stretches. But you're just kind of left in a spot where it's like, well, how do they how do they overcome that? They, they can't right now. You know, that's that's the acid test is a game like that. And your star isn't quite there, but you should still have a way. They don't have a way because like there's never been a, any sort of philosophy, strategy put in place to do that. We see bursts of ideas that they might have had at times during the season but there's never one constant to fall into. The Celtics had that. The Celtics got a win. And uh, the one thing on Giannis before we move on, I, I just felt it was really apparent and no one was setting screens. No one. It's like, if you've got, and he's not entirely a non-shooter, but if we want to simplify this, you've got a non-shooter who's struggling to get to the rim. You need players in motion around him. You need screens. Delhi came in and set some screens. Didn't play well otherwise, but I would have given Delhi more minutes just for just purely because he could have a bad game, but be willing to set the screens that open things up for Yanis, you know, which is a lot more important than the positive or negative influence of his game. I think that was a problem in playing Ton more minutes. I I understand why Zeller's minutes are being limited, but I also I also feel like there's times they need someone who's just a bigger body to come and set a, a really good screen. And when they picked up Zeller, that was one of the things we talked about. It's something he's good at. It's something, honestly, that Henson is pretty good at at times too. And they missed that in the second half. They just missed someone who would come out and set a screen. No one freed up Giannis. So that's for me where then he was off ball. And I don't mean playing off ball in terms of looking to make things happen. I mean, he was just kind of out of the play running around and other guys are making things happen because they didn't even know how to how to set things up for him. I think that was my big takeaway of it in terms of Giannis. I think there's lots of times where he could have gone, he should have gone. I think I think some of the blame for it has to go on Giannis. He did a good job of finding something out of a game where he wasn't all that comfortable, but there is a part of it where just go. You're good enough. Just go. We've been saying this quite a lot in recent episodes, but it is that simple. It's like, okay, this is a this matchup is better than some other matchups in terms of trying to slow you down, but you're good enough. You could still beat it. Just go. Got get guys in foul trouble. You know, uh, there's an interesting thing where Yanis is often seems wary with his drives of you know drawing fouls on himself. The flip side of that is Yanis can can get the opponents into the penalty. 
you know, he can he can get opposing players tied to the bench. If, if Shami Ojale is bothering you, well, let's see. Let's try and drive at him. If you get called for a charge, reassess. But drive and see if he fails you. See if you can get him out of the game. You know, there's there's a lot of things like that that just... All the bits and pieces that aren't there for the books, just, of course, they couldn't come together right now. And when Giannis didn't have it, they didn't know what to do. And it was... It was disappointing because in so many ways they were really, really close and they found some interesting things in this game and it just wasn't enough. Yeah, I uh, agree completely about those Zeller points. I thought he actually had a really strong start, grabbed rebounds, came up with a deflection or two, and then just went away from him. Um, Didn't even start the second half, which I thought was... I understood what the basis behind the decision, but I don't... I think that was one of the things that we talked about, you know, after game or I wasn't a part of game after the post game pod after game four, but we talked about it a little bit uh, previewing game five was, can you count on role players on the road? And aside from like Jabari and a cameo from (laughs) um, that was not the case. Uh, Thon, I don't know. Thon's name was kind of weird because he did have some moments defensively. Um, mm-hmm. that I thought he did well with, but it just it wasn't. Tom, Tom was interesting to me, right? Because I think two things happened, and I don't know if the Celtics fully intended on the end result of it, but I think it works really well for them. Yeah. The first thing is Brad Stevens obviously told his guys to pump fake the hell out of Top Maker. You know, yep. anytime he comes near you, pump fake, get him off his feet. Jalen Tom... Brown had a quote about that, by the way. Oh, did he? Okay. Out. I can't remember where I think it was. Ooh, it might have been on the Athletic. Jared Weiss. Uh, I don't know. He had a quote about it where he was talking about trying to get um, him up on his or you know up in the air and then doing it that way. Well, I think the interesting thing about it is they did that. They got some success out of it. Ton actually adjusted, and as the game progressed, he did a much better job of staying on the ground. Much like he did in like games three and four. Right, but the problem about that is you're not getting what you got out of Tan in Game 3 and 4 if he's rooted to the ground. You know, you you need him to be able to go and block those shots. So I think the Celtics' goal was, okay, well, let's negate the shot blocking. Let's maybe draw some fouls on him this way. I don't know if they anticipated him actually adjusting, and I think him adjusting really kind of killed a lot of what he gave them before and could give them in that game. And that might just be a tricky element of this because getting him to the point where he was mindful and he's kind of rooted to the ground, you're then taking away the frantic energy that can just completely like frazzle opposing teams' minds and lead to a sequence where he gets a few blocks in a couple of minutes there's multiple turnovers for us, and you can build up a really nice run. And I, I think without that, and it, this isn't his fault. I actually, I was impressed that he made the adjustment. I just don't think that was best for him or the books. He had to do it. I just don't think the end result was great. But without him being able to do those things, without him being able to make any of his shots, which he didn't, he was one of five, missed all of his triples, that negated what you were getting out of Ton. And that's why... Prunty went small for much of kind of crunch time in the fourth quarter before then going back to him. Maybe we should transition into some of that because I, I look, I, I kind of I tweeted a little bit in and around this, the touchdown last night. 
I don't have it in me to be like incredulous or surprised that there are mistakes Joe Prunty is making in the series because this is what we expected. This is what's going to happen. Um, whether Joe Prunty is a good coach or a bad coach, the situation coming in and taking charge of a team, sole control of a team mid-season was always going to lead to problems like that. We all knew this was a mismatch in coaching. And I have said it before, I think Prunty has managed the series very well. I'm not talking about every rotation. You can't expect them. Like, it's just unrealistic to think he's going to have a perfect series in terms of rotations, in terms of every decision. He's managed the player as well. And that's been important to why the books won games three and four, why they didn't just get swept or lose in five, why they were able to bounce back. He's got something from players. On this occasion, though, I think his hand was somewhat forced into shaking it up. Tony Snell was awful. And I mean, I'm not saying that to kind of, you know, kick Tony Snell when he's down. It's It was actually, I was cringing. It was really yeah. uncomfortable to watch as the yep. shots kept going up, shots the guy makes all the time. People can say he hasn't been making them recently. If you look at his averages, these are the shots he makes. You know, give him those kind of quality looks over and over. He's going to make two of five instead of going, oh, of five, like he did on this occasion. And by the way, that's the difference in the game, you know, for everything else that was wrong. A normal Tony Snell game, two of those go down, the books win. It's that simple. But that happens. Tony Snell all of a sudden becomes unplayable. So, okay. That's one down one wing. Down Which one is wing. Huge. Malcolm Brogdon really struggled. Um, didn't have a great game at all. Had that strange backcourt violation that wasn't, but still. It was. Of... It was. I went back it, and looked at that. At it was. Time, and it, he had. Well, to me, it was. I don't know. Unless the rule is something that I'm not aware of. He had one foot over the line. So I assume if, if part of you has crossed over. Oh, yeah, over, that's true. But still, it's, 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 like any, it's like any other line. I mean, yeah, that's on his part is just, yeah. you know. Don't don't leave the margin that fine. If you're going to throw a pass back, I mean, you're a professional basketball player. Make sure that you're not going to have a backcourt violation. Um, but yeah, there was that. There was he didn't shoot well. He had two turnovers to only three assists. I think he just didn't really get anything going. He deserved more of a chance because of the big shots he hit in the series down the stretch. I think it was okay to go away from, and it would have been equally okay to go back. Um, even if Prunty wanted to completely kind of break bad as he did and give Shabazz his minutes, when you move away from Shabazz, when you go back to, okay, what are we closing? And he brings Ton in. He could have not brought Ton in and brought Brockton back in. I, I think that may have been a good option. I'm not, I'm not sure what bringing Ton back in at that time achieved. Um, Delhi is another guy who could have got more minutes. Delhi played 16 minutes. Didn't make a shot, had more turnovers than assists. All of those things are bad. But as I said earlier, he is the book who maybe has the best chance of opening things up for Giannis. And that, that's an indictment of so much of what the books do. And it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the case next year with any coach. Uh, he should still be someone who works well with Giannis, but not someone who's that important. But his screens can really matter in that regard. They could have gone back to that. And then you've got Jet, which Jet is 40 years old. 
He is very close to the end. Jason Terry can come in and make shots. Sorry, it's the one thing he can do. He's proven time and time again when we thought he was done that he could make a shot. If Jack got some of those corner trees that Snell gets, he makes them. You know? And this is not ideal, but if you're in this position and you're in game five and you've got to just do something, you think of it. Uh, Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown shooting a streaky. I've talked about this a lot. A streaker than people like to give it credit for. If he's on one of those good streaky games, he makes those shots. You know, I, I think there are, there are other options there for how he closed it. To get start with Chabaz, right? Uh, first of all, I mean, the Shabazz thing worked, right? I mean, yes. it's exactly the what... first go-around. First go-around. It worked the second go-around. No, and it did not. It did. And the reason no, I'll give you is... Not. Jordan. He had a wide-open tree in the left corner. Yeah. Same shot he'd knocked down twice in the, the earlier run, okay? He also had that dunk attempt that... Uh, I think it was Ojale got something on and almost still went down and didn't. He got the same looks and just, you know, reality kicked in. The world said, hold on a minute. We can't just have Shabazz Muhammad single-handedly win a playoff game. And I mean, that's something that, to Marcus Johnson's credit, he was very astute and early on in the broadcast, he was enjoying every moment of Shabazz's first run, but also said, you know, if you're Joe Pronti, you... You can't let the law of diminishing returns come in here. You've got you've to realize what you're playing with. You've got to kind of go and do that. Prunty didn't do that, and I can see why he, a lot of people criticize him, and he deserves criticism for that. But, and this is less about me defending Shabazz and just talking about what we've seen in the series. If there's one thing Prunty has done reliably, it's if a role player gives him something, he trusts him. Show him something, and he'll give you a chance. And that's the line of thinking that has actually led to Ton and Jabari having game-changing impacts in the series. So that's why he goes with that again. Maybe it's too broad, it's too sweeping. Maybe it's naive, and that's the sort of thing that happens when you're in your first playoff series as a head coach, to not say, okay, well, you know, Shabazz is a different piece to Jabari. Um but I I get what was happening there. And I get when the guy has 11 points in two minutes and you're getting no offense all game. And all of a sudden you're right there that you want to kind of just go back to that well out of desperation. But yeah, it just, it didn't lead to good balance overall. I mean, plus you're at a point where you're just, you're kind of just looking at your players and you're being like points, points, points. So you've got Yana's flanked by Shabazz and Jabari. <laughs> like it's, it's going to end up with one of those guys having to knock down shots. And Shabazz continued to get the shots. He got good looks in the second spell that didn't go down. And that's the Shabazz Muhammad experience. That's what you're guaranteed to get. Um, but the first part was positive. Gave the books a chance. Yeah, I've talked for a long while about every little thing involved in that. How would you have approached all of that? How would you have... I'm guessing, much like it wouldn't have been for me, Shabazz wouldn't have been your option when it came to that first run. And if you're going to go deeper in the bench, maybe it would have been Sterling or it would have been Jet. But he went to Shabazz. 
how do you then manage that and then when are you like I, I still feel part of the big mistake was when Shabazz came out at the end of his second stint that he went to Tom because I, I think that was there was something lacking in the understanding of what wasn't working there what wasn't working is that you know you rode the Shabazz train a little bit too long it wasn't that the approach wasn't having success you were still getting the looks out of the style of play you could have just done with a better shooter or a player who's more comfortable on the perimeter to space the floor, whatever it was. And he went in a different direction. And I think that kind of compounded any of the problems that were there when Shabazz had that struggle. I actually do agree with turning to Shabazz in the first place, simply because, you know, they scored 43 points at like, I can't remember what the exact time it was. It was like seven minutes in the third quarter or somewhere somewhere around there. So you're desperate for anything to work offensively. Um, and Shabazz is that, <laughs> faults and all. Um, anytime he plays, gets like, you know, comes in the game, it feels like that Mad Max Fury Road guy where he just like sprays, <laughs> sprays spray paint on his face. It's like, it's like that. It's, it's like high octane, just like, you know, uh, fly by the seat of your pants kind of stuff i think network had a really funny <laughs> joke where he said something about um Shabazz, Robin never knows never, what the score never knew the score was in any game he's ever played in yeah 100 um, don't think that's even a joke that's yeah. that's one of those jokes that may in fact be true <laughs> yeah and it worked i mean you wanted a scoring punch. You got it. Shabazz provided it. Provided it. He scored eleven points in a matter of like three minutes, basically. <laughs> um, and I know again, it's all about the process and the results. That whole thing. He's actually. I. I, I actually don't mind his d- defense. He's not. It's not like it's world beating or anything like that. But he at least gets in the stance. He tries to deny passing uh, lanes a little bit. It's not like that's a, a you know a, you know he's handicapped on that end either, but it was just I understood the basis behind the decision. I thought it was just strange to go back to him when the Bucks actually kind of had like try to find their find their footing. They're pushing the Celtics back on their heels a little bit. It just they needed another shooter out there, and sure he did have uh, nice looks, um, hit two three pointers beforehand, but I thought. Considering how much um, Brogdon has hit, or how many times we've seen Brogdon hit, you know these big shots in this series, clutch shots too. I thought it was that's who he should have turned to, even with his struggles on the night, and he wasn't completely right himself. I just thought that's what that lineup really, really needed to give it a little more space, a little more juice. You know, try to kind of complete this comeback here, and it just you know. It just ended up Shabazz like cannibalizing the team's offense with him kind of looking off like p- players or teammates that looked a little bit open um, for shots and stuff like that. And it just, I thought that was the problem uh, more so than anything. Yeah, there was there was definitely an overreaction in terms of guys who struggled and just saying, okay, well, they're done for tonight. I think with the exception of Snell, no one was that bad that you had to just go to that extreme. You know, I mean, yeah. it was not Snell's night, and we all know how Tony Snell plays and where his confidence was. I mean, he was choking. He was he was fully willing to take the shots, which yeah, good, but please make one, Tony, just one. Um, 
I, I get that. I mean, the thing with Shabazz, and I feel like I'm ending up in this role as Shabazz defender, which is weird, not something I ever envisioned or planned on. There is nothing wrong with Shabazz Muhammad as a player, as long as you are a coach or team that understands his limitations. And Pronti did show too much trust and suggest that he didn't fully on Tuesday night. But the playoffs have been one like big kind of example of Pronti will ride the hot hand. He, he's he's into that. He's fully on board in that. He will let the most surprising guy go off and keep going to them because he thinks that's how it works. I mean, what I felt was the interesting thing about Shabazz was just how quick he racked up shot attempts, decent shot attempts the first time, purely because I was like, well, if Shabazz can do this, it's there for Yanis. You know, that was the thing. Or it's there for so many players. Um, His aggression is an interesting injection in this team because there are so many guys who just don't have that. Even Bledsoe, like, you watch Shabazz get to the rim. Why aren't you? Why can't you do that? Just take on that mindset. That's going to lead to some bad moments and bad shots. But there are times where, you know, and when your team's struggling, you've got to force it. I mean, they lost. They lost anyway. So there's not a whole lot of difference in that for me. Do you want to do you want to talk about Bledsoe? I mean, the answer is probably not, but we should. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's do it. Um, uh, In editing your takeaways, I, I feel you are less impressed with Bledsoe than I was in that I, I can at least point to one moment or a point in this game where things picked up from, even though it doesn't give me any encouragement. And I think he was actually okay to pretty good after the flagrant fell because that got his defense going. He had the kind of the poke away where he came in from like, basically came flying through the air over, over the back of someone. And um, he had another steal I believe he had a block after that too. Uh, on the offensive end, he did make a big tree as well. That was some of the better play for Bledsoe we've seen in the series because there was defense. The problem with that is it took an altercation with Terry Rozier to get the reaction out of him. And it's just beyond farcical at this point. It's absolutely mind-blowing. I don't know. Terry Rozier, I mean... I, I'm not I'm not looking to go on the who is Terry Rozier thing here, but on the scale of NBA players, he's pretty low on the list of guys that you should just, you know, get that worried about. It's it's Bledsoe has made it so so severe as such that I'm now getting to the point where I'm like, you know, maybe he had a point originally, because to get this in your own head over Terry Rozier is just completely ludicrous. But Bledsoe really is. And it's so bizarre. He started out this game with an unbelievably sloppy turnover. Right, Followed up with two really awful mid-range jumpers. That you're just like, there is no reason for this shot. No reason. It's not a good shot. It's not even your spot. It's not where you go and make these shots from. But he took them and he missed them. Then, I tweeted it. I think he had the worst individual defensive play of the season worse than game one which was everyone's yep. response to it because on this occasion he wasn't looking at the floor uh, he wasn't like looking at his feet he hadn't been just kind of 
I don't want to say crossed over because I think that's being generous to what Rob Zier did in game one. But there was there was no he just wasn't involved in the first place for any sort of action to throw him out of it. He was standing looking into the crowd. Like the balls at the top of the arc. He's looking out over the Celtics bench into the crowd. Just doing nothing. You're going, what is going on here? Completely absurd. Is there any player that's been more damaged by the playoffs than Eric Bledsoe? Are you talking about Bucks wise or whole? Oh, Bucks wise. I'm not. I mean, I'm not talking all time or. No, no. I'm talking about. I, I think you're talking about this postseason. What did you do? You have someone this postseason who's been more in their own head and you know. Son Whiteside. I think he was kind of closer to there going into the playoffs than Bledsoe. Yeah, it's really bad, though. Oh, I know, but Whiteside's been... <laughs> Whiteside's been acting like that for quite a while. Yeah, You know, that was that was something that came into the playoffs. Bledsoe finished the regular <sighs> season. We're all like, wow, he's been really good. Let's see what Bledsoe gives in the playoff. And everything he said, everything he's done since has been like, who's this guy? No pun intended. Genuinely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I've been pro Bledsoe through thick and thin since, you know, during the regular season. I'm bleeding from my scarlet letter on my chest. <laughs> it's uh, it's really awful. It's it's uh. and he had a quote. I don't know. Again, it was Jeff Goodman on ESPN said something about. I'll bring it up because it was like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, I mean, it's it not his first something... quote that fits that bill recently. So, you know, yeah. it's, we're almost expecting multiple of them every time he speaks, which that wasn't... He was a very kind of measured interview and quote throughout most of the season, which makes it all the more unusual that, you know, oh, right, this is where we are now, really? This is this is what it's like? Uh is this that we're looking for to game three? My bad, yeah. game six. Yeah, I I, I don't what? know, but but I don't know. I mean, he might just be misspeaking. He is likely just misspeaking. He is misspeaking, but it is something like it does it, play it, into that he doesn't know where or when he is. But I mean, I don't know why Jeff Goodman is reporting that quote. That's like. I, I have mixed up what game we were on so many times this series. If that happens in the playoffs, I, think, I mean, I I don't know. It, that's I, it's just it's not it's not a damning quote, but it's another like it's little strange. thing of all, all this series of just like bulk BS that he's pulling out of anywhere. It's just just a strange. I, I mean, this is what we bar, you know, this is what we signed up for, obviously. But it's like I mean, what we didn't the know hell is it was quite doing? this. I mean, it's this awful. is even though, because there's things you can point to with Bledsoe, and obviously you can point to I don't want to be here and how that played out. I mean, what I say now is he did a really nice job when he decided to just send a tweet rather than giving all of the interviews over a period of time, because that would have been much more damaging for his career. Um, yeah. Although it may have put the books and other teams off because, you know, that tweet was, you know, very mild in comparison to when he airs out his grievances. I mean, he's clearly frustrated and 
he he does have this injury, which is kind of a new thing that I don't know. Like, I don't know. I just I can't really put a whole lot into it. But he does suddenly have an injury. He's just been so disappointing. I mean, he is the difference if he's even at half his normal self. If he's just not being destructive, he doesn't have to play well. If he's just being solid and not kind of actively hurting the books, they win the series. You know, it's it's one of those things where all the talk about the talent differential. Well, I mean, it has the gap hasn't been quite as big because Eric Bledsoe has played the way he is. You know? Yep. Yeah. That's part of what this boils down to when you talk about teams missing their best players oh well the books are missing one of theirs too his name is eric Bledsoe. so yeah, he's on <laughs> planet neptune with like i just i game don't three. Um, <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know <sighs> anything else jordan anything else from this game that stood out to you that you thought was interesting or gave you hope or frustrated you or I think this re- this reinforces that it's going to go seven. That is, I just can't get on top of your takes throughout all of this. Every I've been time consistent. you make it, every consistent. time you make something, you no, you were consistent in saying everything possible, but you know, it's <laughs> bucks and thirteen. Someone put a bit together and be like, "Wow, Jordan was right." Um, as someone, I mean, possibly you. At the end of this, you might do that. Yeah, I, I just. Yeah, I I think it's incredibly tough to come back and win game six. I don't think they won't, but I think it's incredibly tough. That's the same reason I thought once books got game three and four that they would win in six. Because I thought momentum's there. If you get game five, this is a wrap. I mean if they get if honestly, I if the books get it to seven, like statistically we'd be long overdue a road win for either team. I don't think the books have been that bad or that far off. If they get it to seven, anything is still in play. I just think six is now a big hurdle. You know, getting getting another win when you're right up against it, you know you have to win two, you know you have to go back there, whatever it is, picking yourself up again. I think that's that's a big hurdle now. If they get to seven, it's a once-off. You know, it really is. I don't think a lot of the things, home court isn't going to matter as much as we think which might sound ridiculous when I'm talking about a series where every game would have gone to the home team if it gets there. But it's that's a different sort of beast. You know, that's a pressure will factor into it for both teams just as much, if not more, than any sort of, oh, who are the fans rooting for? You know, what am I familiar with? Because the whole situation is unfamiliar to so many people that it becomes less about that than where are you playing. But I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong yet. I just... I admire your belief that this is ending up with a game six win. Hey, we'll see. Um, I think that's it. I think that's what we've got on game four for now. Game five. We, game five. See, there we go. Turn the blunts off. <laughs> Jeff Goldman is going to be tweeting about me soon. Um, it happens. Playoffs are long and hard. <laughs> they really are. This is not. This has been, you know. Anyway, that's for another day. In the meantime, we'll be back with you for game six, not game three. Talk very soon. Um, If you want to hear that, if you want to catch all of our episodes for however long or short the playoffs continue to be, and hey, beyond that, because, I mean, 
we're not just here for the playoff party. Um, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher and favorite us on TuneIn Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Winning Six Podcast. Make sure to check out mine, Jordan, the rest of the team's writing, behindthebookpass.com. That's it for now. Thanks as always for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.